welcome to Directionally Correct, a People Inc. podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Josh Epperson, Senior Business Consultant at AWS. Thanks to our sponsors, Polynode. Harness the full power of organizational network analysis with Polynode. With one-click data integrations and built-in relationship-based surveys, Polynode enables people analytics practitioners to move from data to insights faster. To learn more and see why Polynode is trusted by some of the most innovative companies in the world today, book a demo at polynode.com slash directionally correct. Do you try to like just get everything done? Do you try to like push back on people? Hmm. Do you, like, do you try to do like a shitty job so people won't ask you to do anything <laughs> else? Like, what, what's your no. strategy? Definitely not the latter. That's just not my nature. In fact, I usually do way more than people ask me to do. Uh, part, part of it is just experience and realizing what is going on. Like the first few times you deal with it, you're like, I am fucking stressed and I can't deal with this. But like having gone through, I don't know, 20 cycles of this sort of like peak and valley over my like working career, but if, if not like 50, like, you know, sometimes it's crazy peak. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, not so much. I'm just realizing this going to be done eventually even though it doesn't feel like your work's ever going to end. Yeah, work work never does end, does it's it? It's not going to end. It's not never going to end. It's not going to end. <laughs> How's it going, Josh? What's up, Josh? Good. Josh, Josh is like a TV person. Like he he deserves to be on TV. That's funny. So the word deserve triggers something. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they're like, "You deserve a break." Or no, wait. You deserve something. And I was like, mm, "I don't think we should talk about what I deserve." Because <laughs> I, I probably deserve maybe, maybe not some good stuff. <laughs> Isn't that like a Snickers advertisement? It's like, you deserve a break. Or yeah. Something. That's, that's, Take a break. That is exactly what it is. I mean, I haven't seen that in years. It's probably, is that, I don't yeah. know that that's still a thing, but I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Have you ever been on TV? Have either of you ever like had the opportunity to be on TV? Like real TV? Well, like here, I'll, I'll, a couple weeks ago. Only pr- um, only print, Scott. I was a model, what? but we don't have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was down by the monorail tracks, like, I don't know, like Fifth Street in Seattle. And like, the monorail goes over, like buses and cars go underneath it. And there was a bad wreck. And it turns out like a car hit a bus underneath the monorail and it hit a pedestrian and killed him, unfortunately. Oh, my God. But the tv news were everywhere and like hey do you want to be on tv and just you know talk about this experience like i wasn't here i don't know anything. you you told me all the facts i know nothing yeah. about this <laughs> you don't want me to talk <laughs> like you don't i don't want me to talk about this I, I don't want to be a meme right i don't want to be like the uh crazy you know they're gonna remix my voice and shit yeah i want you to be a meme you make memes all the time <laughs> that's a little known off inner office fact yeah <laughs> oh are you a meme maker is that a term meme maker uh, something like that yeah <laughs> oh definitely i have my little tools uh well like now with like chat gbd4 like you just ask it to make something crazy and it'll do it for you except in december don't do that in december it has to be like january <laughs> to november and then, and then well, you'll get it <laughs> we'll get to that we'll get to that <laughs> absolutely i'm at aws before i was here i was um an external consultant i got three little boys um and i'm tired 
How's that? Yeah. What's your, what's your social security number? Oh, so funny. You should ask because that got stolen recently. Oh. Um, and are you uh, serious? Oh, that yeah. sucked. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to. Yeah, really? I didn't know thing. that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know what? Yeah. I can only be so serious. Life is really short. It is. It is. Yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'll, well, I want to know more about the social security thing. So what happened? Like, how did you fix it? Um, we, I got a call from our bank and they said, um, that was trying to, uh, an individual who was named as me, um, and had my social security number wanted information. They have a two-step verification process, which mm-hmm. you know what? I hate two-step verification until it saves your freaking bacon. <laughs> um, and they said, we ha- our two-step verification process is to actually call you. So they called us, called me, and I'm like, well, that was not me. So that's how it – That's and they caught it. And I'm like, okay, I like you. Thank you for catching it. So that's that's how it started. Isn't that like that's part of the wild. scam process too, to like call you and just like try and fish for information? That's yeah. Like, well, it's – and I don't – I mean – there's so many threats. I don't know. How do they even freaking yeah. get your social security number? I mean, um, I don't know how that happened. So well, it's all those big, uh, like, you know, every so often you hear like, Target lost 10,000 social security numbers in a data breach. You know, right. that kind of thing. That's it's like, well, right. I hope I didn't shop at Target. I, I'm Target. I don't mean this about you. I, I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Like, Target, <laughs> Target, you're great. You're right on Target. <laughs> Um, or, or they had like a bunch of like employee information that could yeah. totally yeah. be leaked somehow. So I, we don't know how it happened, but I did learn really quick, like what you're supposed to do, which I didn't know, but basically what? you what freeze you all the, the freeze, the three first thing is you freeze the three major credit bureaus. So you freeze trans, uh, Experian, TransUnion, and um, Equifax. Equifax. Yeah. So you can put a freeze on them. You do that. And that just means that nobody, even yourself, can draw. Um, Mm -hmm. And and then you put a flag on it. And when anybody does draw, you get a notification or or inquires about drawing, you get a notification. Is there an end to this or do you just like live like this? I'm still, it's still frozen currently. which was a total pain in the butt because we were going through a home equity line of credit Ugh. process on our house and they have to pull your credit. And yeah, so it was just, it was stupid. I'm sorry, sorry sir. you have no credit. Yeah. None. Yeah. Um, well, no, what's, no, it's actually worse. They're like, they're, they're like, um, Oh, um, noticing that there's a flag on your credit. Um, what's mm-hmm. that all about? Yeah, because they because they don't have information other than it's like locked down. Say sorry, kids, no presents this year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's <laughs> someone took Dad's Social Security. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, fortunately, I mean, like, I I don't think they've well, they haven't been able to do anything with it. But I I mean the. I don't even know how you would know. Like, they opened up five credit cards. Like, if it's not well, to your you address, know. you wouldn't know. That's right. And what they do, I mean, I could go down this rabbit hole. But what they do is they do, like, a nine ninety five charge. Mm-hmm. And then they, yeah. they do that for, like, four, five, six times. 
and then they drop the big one. Like right. the, then they clean you out. We, and I had a friend who um, didn't shut it down quick enough and they opened up two new accounts. And this is no joke, cleaned out his checking and his savings and moved it into a dummy account in his name that he didn't have access to. That's wild. It's messed up. Can you get the money back once it's in a dummy account? Do you even know? <laughs> sounds like moving earth. It sounds, right? it sounds dummy. I, I don't, um, he, I don't believe he got the money back. I, I think it's an on, it's an ongoing like fraud claim and investigation. And, um, and I can't remember who they bank with, but, I think you get some of it back, but you don't actually get the money back. The bank has to pay you because they jacked it up. I don't know exactly. Right. Well, now I feel justified in the hundred times a day. I look at my bank account stuff. <laughs> like You're yeah. not getting these nine ninety five charges <laughs> past me, man. Yeah. If you, if you weren't like, uh, what's the word? Hyper, uh, hyper vigilant. Yeah. Hyper vigilant before you will be now. And if you were before, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> josh actually lives like kind of uh not stores near me but like kind of like the uw campus yeah. and like I, I go over there not regularly but if regular enough to like make it funny like i have this idea uh to actually stop by josh's house and you can like sneak a beer in the bush and like freak his wife and family out well the problem is is it wouldn't freak anybody out it would be like a day <laughs> so yeah <laughs> So, I mean, I feel like we've seen it all. Like, you see nudity, you see... Because you, you, li you live near a frat house, right? Or on frat row. A frat house? There's, there's I don't know, 50 of them? <laughs> wow. Well, it's wow. frats and sororities. No, they're, don't worry, Cole. They're like, they're like mm, five blocks to the south. So we're, we're, there's a, we're removed. Okay, there's a little buffer. I mean, yes. it's like, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with Washington, the university. Um, is it like a party school? I always thought it was like a high academic standing school. Am I wrong about that? Like, or well, like, funny. is it a it's bunch funny. of crazy? There's a there? direct relationship between uh, pressure to perform and need to unwind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, you're, you're still doing college students, right? You are, I it's mean, not still college kids. Yeah, it's not San Diego State. Um but there, <laughs> there is, there's plenty of stuff happening. Yeah, fair I enough. mean, you're talking like astroturf, like front yards and stuff oh, over yeah. there. Yeah, well, exactly watch it. I think beautiful. we're gonna turf our front yard. Just go Brady Bunch on it. It's hard. I mean, it's hard for me to do that. But you know what? I, I, I think, I think we are. We turfed our side yard. Um, it's just, it's a really hard thing for me to wrap my head around mentally. Like, I, I can't. Why? Because, like, you have to vacuum your grass. <laughs> right? Like, I just, it's a hard mental model for me to get my brain around. Um, you already had to vacuum your carpet. It's not much of a stretch. But you're outside. <laughs> Outdoor carpet. <laughs> I don't really use vacuums outside unless I'm cleaning my car. And we haven't done that for years. Can you use a blower instead of a vacuum? That's a, yes, that's a good point. And and blowers do work. That is a really good point. Um, the the problem is is that you blow it into a pile. Mm -hmm. So you still have to pick it up. I I don't know. I just the whole it just is weird. I don't know. I don't know how to explain. Well, it. I know I mean, like 
better. Speaking of weird, like how, how do the kids react to like all these college kids? It must be like a freaking zoo. Um, I mean, they're you know they're a zoo. They don't care. They um, yeah, they're kind of right on pace. I mean, yeah, the same my thinking... mentality. No, they're they're just it just seems normal to them. It's amazing what you can normalize with kids, for better or for worse. But. See, and I was thinking by the way that that was getting teed up that this was going to be like that movie Neighbors with like Seth Rogen and they move next to a fraternity house and it would just be chaos yeah. and booze. I don't know. Is there anything like that? The only like difference, that? Cole, is that I haven't gone in. <laughs> gone into the fraternity houses? Yeah. I haven't gone in Yet. there in the, middle of the, in the middle of the party. That's better for everybody. <laughs> I don't know. It would make a good movie. Dude. Like the... <laughs> The last time I was in a frat house, I mean, it was just absolute chaos. You, like, talk about dirty as can be. Some yeah. guy's like, is that uh, collecting urine in his closet? Like, yeah, that's good. And he's just, like, I mean, that's just gross. wild, wild shit. We, in college, the house I lived in, a um, bunch of dudes, and nobody wanted to do dishes. Yeah. So, oh, God. our solution when the dishes started growing things in the sink yeah. and on the counter, our solution, okay, this is well thought out. This is highly educated people. Our solution was to pick up the dishes and the plates and put them on the back steps. What, uh, like to let the rain take care of it or what, what's going on? Or just get no, rid of if them? If you don't see them, it, do, it's not exi- it doesn't exist. Oh, oh, yeah. And so it's really, there's this store called Goodwill. So it's really convenient and actually very cost effective to, to just go buy new new, new dishes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So no joke at the end of the year, there was a mound of like silverware and pots and pans just on the back step. Nobody went back there ever. Just a yard sale. It's totally it's nasty. It seems fun. like a passive aggressive fight between roommates. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it might've just been wholly passive, just not aggressive, just wholly passive. <laughs> yeah. I love, well, I love how we're hitting the hard hitting issues today. It's important. Of, uh, I mean, like, it's all sort of flashbacks too. I mean, oh, like, yeah. I think we all. Yeah. How do we start this thing? I think we are sort of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, how, how did you actually start? How did you start in this field, Josh? I, I've known you for quite a while, but I don't even know how you how I started. Worked well, yeah, worked your way into this role. This <laughs> into this, yeah. Well, how did you even wind up here? Um, let's see. So, I started. Ooh, you know, the real answer to that is I had a really dysfunctional family. <laughs> okay, that's how it all started. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it started for me. I. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to help. I'm a helper. I like to help. I like to, um, find things that aren't going as well as they could and, um, be a part of helping make them go better. So that's how my career started, um, at a very early age, but about 20. Wait, wait, so, so you noticed this stuff in your, uh, childhood growing up, your parents absolutely. have you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I carried that through. So I came up through school in behavioral sciences. Um, and so studied, you know, psychology, studied theology. I came up through the behavioral sciences. 
And, um, and I started working as a clinical therapist, actually, uh, about 23, four years ago. Um, and I worked with young kids ages six to 17 with severe mental health issues. Oh my God. Uh, they had been like physically abused, uh, sexually abused, um, emotionally abused. I mean, you name it. They had, they had been through it. So I had a caseload as a clinical therapist and, and worked with them um, and did that for five years or so. Um, yeah, uh, that's really remarkable. I, I worked with autistic kids uh, shortly after college, did that for about two and a half years. It's, it's really, really tough. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a few autistic clients. I, I would usually get the kids that um, weren't necessarily on the spectrum, but they were just major behavioral problems. Um, like def defiant disorder, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And really, so the turning point into the career that I am in now is a six, well, yeah, he was a six-year-old boy, Patrick, um, who was completely mute from the, the trauma that he had experienced. And um, he, every, we would do what's called play-based therapy, if you're familiar with it. It's, I actually love mm -hmm. it. Um, but you don't have to talk. <laughs> um, you use, we use action figures um, from his play bin. And so every day I worked with him for about three months and every day I would work with him, uh, we would do 50 minute, 55 minute sessions. And we'd start by going to his toy bin and picking out the action figures that we wanted to use for that day. If the weather was nice, we would walk across the street to the park and we would play in this one tree. And basically what you do is you play with these figures. And then I try to interpret the narrative of what's going on for this little six-year-old boy yeah. based on the, the story that's unfolding with these characters. And, um, it, you know, he, he was mute, so he didn't talk for three months that I knew him. And, um, and it was really like, you know, I had just finished my graduate degree to, I had just finished two graduate degrees and, and I thought I knew a lot and, I was like, this is all a joke. Like none of this is even working. <laughs> like what, what am I doing? Yeah. I would show up every week. And I was like, this is a, this is a joke. Like I have no sort of any sort of feedback signal back. And, um, and literally on our last day, um, we were coming back from the park, our last day together, coming back from the park and we had our action figures and he reached out to grab my hand because that's what we did when we crossed the street. He's a six year old boy. Like, so we walk back across the street and we step up onto the curb and I'm just like, I'm like, this is stupid. I, I've invested all this time and nothing matters. And literally the only thing he ever said to me, he looked up and he said, thanks. And I was like, what was that? Yeah. I was like, where's this been? Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. You know, and that's, he didn't say anything after that. Um, and it's just this swirl of emotion trying to figure out like, what the heck did I do that mattered? Like, you know, like, whoa, I'm amazing. Like this is, this all works. This is all great. You know? Yeah. And then, and then, um, and then I look up at his front door as we're stepping toward his house and I open his door and we go inside and I wish, you know, it's, it's hard to fully capture the picture unless you've been in this type of situation, but 
we go back into his house and it is just, it's a mess. Like it is an absolute mess. And I'm overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, everything in his system and structure is going to belie the thanks that he just said. And I, I'm like, okay, I can't just do individual change and transformation. I, I have to think about the system. I have to intervene mm-hmm. at the system level because it doesn't work with just the individual. Um, and so, so that was, you know, that was about 23 or so years ago. And that's when I got into large scale change and transformation work. So how, how do you make change at a system level? So, um, uh, there's, there's a great author, um, and great practitioner. His name's Adam Kahane. He's got lots of books. One of the books that I love is called solving tough problems. Um, and, uh, and one of my favorite quotes, and it's a paraphrase, but essentially what he says is, um, you can't, you can't solve system, system problems until you see yourself as a part of the problem. And um, I love that. Um, so I, I mean, like e- even externally, like yeah. I mean, you go into like these orgs that you aren't working in. Yeah, you are yeah. part of the problem how as well. I, how do I contribute? How am I contributing that? If I sit down with a team, um, it's very easy, Scott, to like quickly assume the norms and the patterns of relating that that team has ingrained and that are is is ultimately undermining their success. And so I become a part of their microcosm instead of instead of providing something different for them. Um, and, and so when I become a part of their microcosm, like, how do I recognize that name it, acknowledge it and, and use it as a, as a way to move forward. Um, but, but what I was going to say, Cole, to your question is, um, I'm actually working in a group with Adam Kahane right now, reviewing his, um, a a book that is going to be coming out this next year, um, called, system transformation and it's um the sub the sub line is tbd but it's it's basically to the effect of um everyday habits of systems transformers and we're we're trying we're trying to lean into that man um i i i'd be a moron to answer that question right now that you just asked it's it's a really big question um and there's not one answer to it. So, fair enough. <laughs> I thought I might learn something today. Now I, now I don't know. So. No, I hey, I never. When you asked me to come on, I never said you were going to learn anything. You just, <laughs> I didn't commit to that. <laughs> well, I mean, like, how, how are you going to change the system of like uh, putting dishes on the back porch? I mean. It gets the real stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you everyone know, got a, everyone got an actual job. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, everybody. So it's a great, that's a great, uh, that's a great practical thing. I mean, in college, you got these guys in my house who just, you know, the the way to get the dishes out of the kitchen was to put them in the back porch. Um, so there was plenty of awareness from everybody what was yeah. happening, but there was no buy-in to change it. Um, and there was no desire to change it. So you get stuck in the change curve, right? Uh, for this little system that um, nobody, nobody cared. There was, a, there was an alternative way to solve it. You go to Goodwill and get secondhand dishes, right? 
it, it is a good metaphor because like you need to change the incentives. The incentives being like, well, we might want to have a girl over someday. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, surprisingly, that wasn't a problem because the, the, the girls that came over, they didn't see the dishes. As long as you didn't open up that back door, everything was fine. Well, I want to dig into this a little further just because I, I feel like you're, you're, you're not letting on to as much as you actually know about this space. Um, I, I know two of our previous guests, uh, Alec Levinson and Alexis Fink, have this model of people analytics that OD and people analytics are two sides to the same coin and one can't be effective without the other. And so I'm wondering from, from your perspective with a background in OD, how, how do you go about, you know, at least starting to try to make organizational change uh, based on, and I'm assuming you use things like data, but tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Like, what is, what is your process? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, you got to work back from some signal. I, I know a lot of, a, a lot of people actually, I mean, had a conversation this morning about designing a solution for um, a customer and, I, I had to stop and I said, eh, it kind of feels like we have a solution in search of a problem here and we need to rethink that. And so um, definitely got to work back from signals, either trends externally um, or signals directly from the customer. And um, I, yes, I love data that is there. I think it's easier to, to lift and use um, if it's just passive data that's being collected and you can analyze it. But uh, even more than that type of data, I, I love qualitative data. I really love qualitative data. And the reason I love qualitative data is that it sets the system in motion and prepares the system for change. It's very admirable work, but uh, you know, some additional admirable work is uh, the confusion matrix. You want to step inside, guys? Ooh. Let's do it. Okay. The confusion matrix. Okay. So you want to do a little uh, research roulette, Josh? Uh, uh, yeah, as long as I don't get shot. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. You can't know until you it's, it's a bit of a It's a bit of a leap. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the rules are simple. There's one real uh, study that's published and two fictitious ones brought to you by ChatGBT. Your goal is to identify the real study. Ooh. Pretty, pretty simple. If you get it right, Cole will send you a personalized social media tile that you can share with your friends and family. Ooh. We are approaching the holidays here. Uh, and if you, uh, if you pick the wrong one, man, that's, we, we don't even talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. There are no consequences. I don't think I've ever picked the correct one since we started doing this. <laughs> okay, here are the three studies. Uh, study one, the influence on fictional literature on real-life problem solving. This is from uh, Rutgers University in the Journal of Cognitive uh, Literary Studies. Influence of fictional literature on real-life problem solving. Cognitive lit literary studies. That's an interesting journal. Okay. <laughs> Do you know it's real? Mm. <laughs> There are weird journals out there. Right. Right? Let's get real. Right. Let's get real. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a tangent, but okay, whatever. Uh, study power two. Through. Yeah, power through it. it okay, I'll, I'll just back up for a second. I'll just go for it. Uh, there was a study that someone uh, had held up as their model in our program. It's a leadership 
studying is like mm-hmm. one of these like SEM models that has like all sorts of directions and lines connecting yeah. left and right. And like um, a professor that Cole and I both know was like, how the fuck are you going to use that? Like, what the hell is that? And like someone in the room, I can't remember who said, was the most genius thing ever. It's like, oh, it's the uh, Journal of uh, North Korean Leadership. I mean, that, you know, there's probably something to what they were saying. <laughs> there's okay. a model out there for everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> of leader is fearless leader that's what we know about this journal okay so one is uh fictional leadership uh literature on real life problem solving study two the effect of plant interaction on workplace stress and productivity this is from the green earth psychological research center yeah that was in the international journal i i I already know that i know that's real i know that's real international journal that's on black all right (laughs) i already know that one's real i yeah Yeah. I i already know that one you like that one? You just like don't even need number three. No, I do need number three. I think that one's real. I don't think that's necessarily the okay. answer. So yeah. So what's what's number three? Uh, placebo effect of medication costs. Expensive placebos are more effective than cheap placebos. This is from University of Cincinnati in uh, the Neurology Journal. I love that, by the way. I I'm Wait, putting my bets on that one. It's I saying, it's saying what's the third one saying that it's that it costs more to to use expensive placebos. No, no, no. Placebo effect of medication costs. Expensive placebos are more effective than cheap placebos. Oh, oh, they're more effective. That seems like textbook behavioral economics right there. That that makes absolutely (laughs) no sense. Like, it's a placebo. It makes all the sense, John. You just don't even get it, man. How do they even test that? Do they say, like, ooh, this one costs a lot. It's a designer placebo. Versus the generic. So, so it's in the packaging, you think? <laughs> I'm trying to have fun with this, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sincerely don't care if this is true. <laughs> I, I, so, okay, I'm, I'm ready. It, it's, got a, it's got a little, like, gold ribbon on the, you I'm, know, pill. Yeah, I'm ready to guess. Okay, so once again, you have uh, influence of fictional literature on real-life problem-solving, the effect of uh, plant interaction on workplace stress, and placebo effect of medication cost. What say you, Josh? I think think the third one is not true. Which one is true, though? Oh, there's only one that's true? Only only one one is true. Oh, yeah, number two. It's like Highlander. Number two, number two. Number two, going with the plant story. Yeah, plant story. Cole's going hard on the placebo. (laughs) He's hard in on the placebo. Okay, here's, I will present the actual study. It's the placebo. (laughs) Placebo effect on medication costs and Parkinson's disease. I think that they essentially just had two conditions. Uh, You know, they told people that in one case, you know, the placebo wasn't that expensive in the other. It was so, uh, and they got better. I guess that's how you do it. Expensive placebo. People so value much. things they pay more for. I mean, I feel like that's pretty well known. I yeah. So it just makes me think about my work, and I'm like, how can I charge people more and get a better outcome, but do the well, same? There, there, okay. So when I worked for a small assessment development company, like the question was like, how much do you charge folks? And like, you, oh, like can we lower the cost? Lower the cost? At some point. They don't the your clients don't have skin in the game to you know get back data to you or this sort of thing. So the goal is to 
charge them as much as possible so not only they think that they're getting a better product but then they have the desire and motivation to work with you yeah so interesting it's like the antithesis of the amazon flywheel on price Mm -hmm. that's the point placebos work baby (laughs) i don't even know what the amazon flywheel is so i'm just i'm i'm winging it I want to know more about these uh, plant interactions. Yeah, yeah, I, hey, I have definitely seen. If I googled that, what was the what was the name? What was the name of the the research study? Oh, which one? The the plant one. Oh, it is made up by Google. Uh, ChatGPT, rather. Uh, the effect of plant interaction on workplace stress and productivity from the Green Earth Psychological Research Center. ChatGPT is amazing. It um, is. I do recall like right when the pandemic was really starting to hit, I come to the office and be like three months after, you know, the work from home order, go home. And you just see all these like dead plants everywhere. Oh yeah. So many plant casualties from the pandemic. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, that is. And not to mention the office pets. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who took care of them? I always wondered about the, uh, like, did someone leave like a tuna salad in their dr- desk Oof. drawer? That's that nasty. Would have to be rough. That is nasty. Yeah. Well, y'all want to move on to something uh, better? If in fact there is something better, sure. Yeah. Do Where do you want to start, nerdery? Cole? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some nerdery. The nerdery. Um. Well, we were kind of talking about this earlier about you know, does work even get done in December? Yeah, let's do it. So this is like a really interesting study. So work slows down uh, before the holidays. You know, people are out, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But does it actually impact uh, how LLMs perform? So they're just a function of the data that's put into them. So someone uh, asked ChatGPT. They gave him a prompt and measured the length of the actual responses presented to it. And in one case, they told him that the work was being done in December. And as a control, they said it's being done in May. And they essentially just use a simple t-test to determine that when it's told that it's doing work in December has shorter responses and crazy. this is uh reproduced by an independent researcher as well it's really fascinating stuff i it's- love that you can do hard-hitting research with t-tests this oh, is yeah. my favorite part of it say, can, can you say more <laughs> well it's like when you're learning about uh, statistics and Scott was, you know, using the example mm. earlier of a huge SEM model to predict everything in leadership when really some of the most important findings you can find with a simple t-test. Oh. And I've always maintained that belief. Not that this is an important finding. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think it's interesting though. And, and we've talked about it before how just simple and sometimes even inane prompts to LLMs will make them their performance improve or, or, or decrease. And like, you can just say things like try harder and it'll try harder. It's wild. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is that, yes, and it, it has very specific things. It's, I think it's looking for because in other cases you can repeat and repeat and repeat. And it doesn't, I had one where I just wanted it to use like the verbatim quotes, like, like the whole sentence, use the whole sentence. I got 30 quotes, use all 30 quotes. And it summarized them. And I, and I told it, use, use it exactly as it's written. Do not add or delete. 
and it comes back and it says, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I did. I, I did sum <laughs> up those quotes. And I said, so and then I start interacting. I'm totally engaged. Um, you, no worries. It's okay. But try it again. And this time, this is what I'm typing. This time, use it without editing, out cutting. It did it again. And I'm like, so, so it, then I say back to it, you, you, you did it again. Like you summed all, and I am deep in a conversation now with the model. You, you summed it all <laughs> up. Can you, I, I want the exact comment. It comes back and said, you're right. I'm sorry. I did. I did it again. I summed it up again. I did this like four times and it wouldn't ever pull the verbatim quotes. So you got, it's like an, an annoyatron. <laughs> yeah. Finally, I just told it, I was like, thanks, but this isn't what I'm looking for. And it said, it said, sorry. And Nobody's ever accused it of being impolite. I'll give it that. <laughs> yeah. it, it is amazing, though, that it is taking these, you know, little bits of information that we feed into it, our, our uh, digital breadcrumbs, as it were, yeah. and like ingest all this information and is coming up with different responses based on the time of the year, though. Yeah, It's like something you wouldn't absolutely predict, right? You would think it'd be performing the same way across... Well, when year. you hit a trillion parameters, I think there's lots of things that we don't understand. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do the same thing with like an XG boost and you're like, how does it work? He's like, I have I don't no know. idea. I don't know. <clears throat> I think this part can't go understated, but they didn't even just do it in May and then do it again in December. They told yeah. it, hey, it's May right now or yeah. hey, it's December right now. And that's what made the difference. <laughs> it's Which like, that is that is really fascinating because don't you think it would know what the date is? Or does I mean, it does maybe. it only know what we tell it? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't. I, don't well, know. I, I guess it's the same as saying like try harder yeah. or like no, you can do this. Like, yeah. I am sorry. I I can't uh, summarize your articles. Like no, you can. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but it has already completely reframed how I do my work. Um, In what ways? Well, it, and it's it's kind of hard to – I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but it, specifically in terms of how, how I think about creating value for customers. And so what um, – like so qualitative analysis is just one simple example – um, and there used to be a lot of value in doing that analysis. Yeah, that absolutely. And that organizing and that creating mental models and recommendations around those theming. And so I'm just, I'm totally rethinking what my value prop is with customers. Um, specifically, if all that work is done, I can actually repurpose. Great. Now that I've got these insights that are right on point. I've got this window of time that I can make them better. I can rethink how we're positioning that material. I just had to completely reframe how I spend my time. That's fascinating. The, the summarizing quotes in this sort of like quasi NLP work, uh, qualitative work is, I, I don't know how good it is yet. I haven't played with it enough. Yeah. To because you don't want to put in like uh, organizational data. You want to put in proprietary it. data. Yeah. So you're walking on thin ice trying to play with it. I, I enjoyed that side of the work so much too. Like you that's go the other the thing. Of energy. Yeah. Yeah. 
and you have to you kind of have to be willing to trade the the joy factor off of doing that work and find a new lane um i mean I have, it's as go, go, go on go on i have been working with some of our research scientists to actually build out the prompts in for proprietary um data coding essentially and um have been doing some fascinating stuff uh, that organizes the models thinking around a system an organization system framework um and actually like doing some fine-tuning with the model through a series of prompts and then um getting the model to create an output around those prompts and it's all proprietary data mm-hmm. yeah I got a question for you guys, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. If if you knew like all the like the qualitative data that you want to analyze is coming from human beings, right? They're having to provide this qualitative data to you. Um, do you think that if the human beings found out that all their data is just going to get analyzed by a GPT, that there would actually stop providing qualitative data at, at a high caliber anymore. Like if I knew no human being was ever going to read or act upon what I wrote, I probably just wouldn't provide it anymore or I would try less hard. Do you, what do you, what do you think? Do you mm. think that that might be a second order effect of this that maybe we haven't considered? Well, I, I think you, you hit two points there. Like one is uh, read that that's, that's one thing, but act mm-hmm. upon that, that's that's the value proposition for answering surveys or you know mm-hmm. conducting exactly. or participating in these sort of uh, uh, focus groups, et cetera. Yep. It, well, I mean, if, I if you remove the act upon, I mean, like that's a massive deterrent. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the first part of your I think there's an assumption in your question and the assumption in your question is around chat GPT. I think we already see what you're describing when um, leaders are in uh, environments where they're strapped and they're at capacity. They just click survey responses to get through the survey. Um, and so we, we already see some of that. It's like, mm, agree or disagree um and they just want to get through the survey and scott you might have better insight into that than i do but um i don't think that's chat only chat gpt i think that is people who are overwhelmed and overloaded and um just want to get through what was being asked of them (laughs) yeah this has been a stroke this this isn't new by any means trying to get quality responses to survey data has been a challenge yeah. <laughs> probably since day one, since whatever the first survey created. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's always been a challenge. There, there are tools to weed out bad responses or identify them. Yeah. Uh, but like when you actually look at, say, like engagement data across organizations, it's, it's relatively high for most orgs. So it's like a four on a, a five point scale. So like trying to identify variants in that, it becomes a real challenge. Yeah. 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 I mean, the other thing that I think in response to your question, Cole, is that it's all self-report. And the bottom line, we are all poor observers of our own reality. Oh, absolutely. And so we're unreliable narrators. I mean, to a certain to a certain extent. And I and that's where I think some of the power, the power is in the conversation. 
Like it's in the back and forth versus the versus the point in time ask. And it's it's I learn something as I'm asked a question and I respond to it and I get something back. And it's that iterative back and forth where I actually become more invested and where I actually get more meaningful insight around what it is that we're working with. Is it also because you're dealing with a human, like make some sort of like human connection with that person? Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, like if, if we weren't doing anything with all of the data, would people's engagement go down? It's, I, mean, I mean, like maybe, maybe, maybe you need to nudge them something like that. Yeah. Maybe we could use some nudges to try to, enact change in behavior um crazy crazy talk oh my god i'm i was trying to elongate the article sorry i'm trying to you know that uh josh they call us the tech boys yeah i love it (laughs) tb yeah that's that's exactly what they call us um so we got a a paper from the national bureau of economic research and a, a few different authors called do the effects of social nudges persist and theory and evidence from 38 natural field experiments. And they, I mean, there's 38 different studies here. So obviously this is pretty robust finding, but just kind of the net net of it is the answer is no. <laughs> no. And that after you put these kind of social nudges into effect and you remove the nudge, things have happened. Because the theory states that you would form new habits because of these nudges. And therefore, once you remove the nudge, the habit would persist. And essentially what they find is no, people go back to their baseline more often than not. And and so the, I think this calls into question somewhat the efficacy of, of using nudges as a kind of a behavioral change. Not to mention there's a lot of you know, shitty ways that nudges are used. <laughs> well, that's um, the thing. They're not all created equal, right? So there may be some of that at play Uh, because i think so for me um i think i mentioned this to you guys at one point but for me the corollary to nudges are is stimulus response theory and um and i find that fascinating and i don't think stimulus response theory has been disproved ever but the notion that um certain stimuli trigger certain responses and that you can remove the stimuli that triggered that response and and actually uh, place a different stimuli to get a similar response. And and so um, I I wonder about that all time. Like what stimulus are we providing leaders to get certain responses or businesses to get certain responses? And then can we remove that and put something else in the mix? And so that's where my head goes. It's it's a really interesting question because like say a manager's like just cruising along and like say his team is, you know, sub performing, you know, we, we, sometimes we miss the signs, et cetera. And then uh, an external group says like, Hey, your team's in trouble. Do X. And they're like, okay, I will do X. Yeah. And then you're cruising along again. And all of a sudden you're no longer even looking for the warning signs. You're just waiting for the nudge to come along. Right. Yeah. And I, gosh, I worry about that. I, I really worry about that in our organizations because I I worry and I don't know I don't know yeah. that this is the case. I worry that we're gonna strip our organizations and strip our individuals of capability and competence. Yeah. 
And because if, if like, I don't know, I mean, like, I think, I think about my kids, like what I need most for my kids, um, in the next, you know, five, 10 years, I need them to to become really good at thinking and making their own decisions. Like I could just tell them what to do every time, but you know what? They're going to leave the house and they're going to, I mean, I hope at some point and um, (laughs) they're going to go next door to the frat and they're going to, they're going to go live their lives and they can't be calling me or, or worse yet, expecting me to call them to tell them what to do in every situation. Like that just, that's not the type of muscle that we want to build. That's, that's a dependency that builds dependency, not muscle. Yeah. It's a really good corollary. Uh, Like I I guess the opposite would be like a check engine light in your car, right? Like that's like something is wrong. We need to do something about it. But, but if you're just like waiting for to be told what to do, like what is the point of a manager at that point? Well, that's a good and that's a really interesting question because check engine light and uh, care about your team and feel very different to me. And so, um, like, I don't really want to have to be thinking about my engine in my car moment by moment. I don't want to have to be thinking about my bank account and is there fraud Mm -hmm. on it moment by moment. Like, I want to get some automated nudges. But if I'm a manager of a team, I actually do want to be thinking about my team regularly. Like I don't want that to be removed. And so I, it makes me wonder, like there's not, not all situations. This is not a big aha, but not all situations are created equal. And the way we apply nudges or the way we apply stimulus response or whatever it is, shouldn't apply in all scenarios. Yeah, it's like you would want to be able to trigger yourself to do good as a manager, perhaps, right? Yeah, you you would hope so. Versus expect that someone else is doing that on my my ex- expense. This is a piece I wrote that's on the screen um, uh, at a firm that I worked at called Navalent, um, and it's it's there, and it's it's about it's this notion that we can trigger altruistic behavior. And um, how do you, if, if that's something you care about, how do you think about that and how do you do it? And this, this was an article um, that I took, a take that I took on it. And, um, yeah. and I think we can get those stimulus around us to get us to respond in certain ways. Like there is some science to that. And if we're thoughtful, we can, we can trigger that. I, I, I take a uh, social network analysis approach here. Essentially, you can trigger a lot of change by uh, creating embeddedness or essentially triangles around you. So essentially pairing with two other people that are like-minded and you create this like little reinforcement circle, uh, which is where I first heard about this uh, energy use studies from the Pentland book where he talks about uh, the, the, these 38 studies are based on where people just going about their neighborhood business and then they receive a letter in the mail that says like, hey, Josh and Cole are using 20% less electricity than you are. Oh yeah. You, you should do the same. And then their energy consumption starts dropping as well. The interesting thing about this like meta-analysis essentially that Cole brought up is that despite the fact that they come to the conclusion that there's no effect, Twice in the article, they state that the people that receive the treatment and their mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
consumption went down when they moved away their consumption stayed down as well yeah. so like even What's though a mixed that they finding were, for sure oh interesting like, yeah absolutely so they moved away they're no longer in that condition and their uh energy consumption is still low and so it's like wow yeah i don't maybe know they, if this is fully disproved maybe they moved to more temperate climates who knows that's interesting <laughs> i i i get those same um uh that'd be a random effect though that'd, that'd be a random effect I, I was making a joke, Scott. I, I know, I know. But he's like, you got me thinking. <laughs> but he just got pissed. So he's going to double yeah. down. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to control for it because it didn't happen. Yeah. Sorry, Josh. Go no, on. I was just saying, I get those same energy like printouts and where they compare me to my neighbors. Um, interestingly, I get those and I'm like, well, that's nice. New high score. I, I don't, yeah, there, is no, there is no shame. I don't have, it doesn't trigger any shame for me. <laughs> it doesn't trigger any shame. I'm like, I guess you're a better human being than me. I guess we use more. I, I mean, you got like, uh, you you the heater going, the blender going, fucking lights yeah. <laughs> going nuts, strobe light going. So that, so it makes me curious. <laughs> like what, like, why does that work for some people and not for others? Uh, and I'm, you know, maybe I'm an outlier, but. It's possible. So, <laughs> well, do you guys want to know the secret to innovation? <laughs> okay, actually, I do. Let's, let's talk about that. You know, that, that's a really interesting question, Josh. About like, uh, why why do you not care? And there's a lot of research that people in cities have less tight relationships with their neighbors. People like in rural areas form these like very strong uh, bonds, uh, very strong bonds. And that tends to be like a stronger trusting situation where you oh, want to do good for them. So maybe it's a urban versus rural sort of difference. But we're talking about bars and innovation. Boom. <laughs> Dropping bars. Dropping bars. Not not the behavioral anchor rating scale, but a different sort. Uh, so prior to prohibition, there were some counties that were dry and some are wet. And this, of course, led to some places that you could drink and some places you couldn't. Of course, when they instituted prohibition, like everyone went dry. And that essentially eliminated these common meeting places where people would get and gather and talk and this sort of thing. Uh, but what the researchers found is that after prohibition, when uh, counties that were formerly wet went dry, there was an eight to eighteen percent fewer patents filed in those counties. And the biggest impact was in the first three years after the patent, and also uh, had a the less least impact on people that were less likely to join or go to bars such as women and uh, minorities, which would like drink at home. So there seems to be like a really good evidence that prohibition stifled creativity and innovation. <laughs> was that your mic drop? You were like- It was, it was. <laughs> yeah. I got all this shit written out, so. Well, I wonder, like, cause th what this reminded me of is prohibition and the pandemic have a lot of similar characteristics. Yeah. They, the factor that was changed was things like video conferencing, you know? Yeah. And so did, you know, would you see the same effects because of COVID that you would have seen because of prohibition? And I think that we're still kind of determining those answers, but obviously it's going to decrease the social capital capital of any area where people aren't collaborating. And again, it's not just bars because it says other places where people hang out too. So yeah. you could, you know, say coffee shops or something like that. Third, third Maybe space. if they ever put prohibition on coffee, we're all screwed. I don't know. 
This was Michael Arena's big issue with uh, prohibition, prohibition with, with uh, COVID return yeah. to home, and we, we saw it in the data. Uh, mm-hmm. Organizations became more clustered. They stopped branching out across different uh, groups, etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. One of the things I'm seeing is that if you think about concentric circles, and you've got like me and my little my little bubble, then you've got like my next circle of relationships and then broader circle what what i'm seeing right now is a lot of leaders and teams that are just trying to get that second circle that second ring tight like so they're they're good but they want to connect with those that are kind of one click removed from them Mm -hmm. and build that strengthen that in that ring it's it's easier it's easier to go to the people you know and develop those really strong bonds than it is to break out seek out seek out people with diverse opinions and you know explore the network definitely so this year's holiday party definitely going to be at a bar you know (laughs) absolutely collaboration we're going to invent something yeah (laughs) but well this has been this has been fun josh um thank thank you so much for being our guest today and telling us a little bit about you know od and about a bunch of cool stuff so uh yeah, thanks for joining us. Scott, any any final words for Josh for um before we give him the final word? We're gonna go to the bar tonight, Josh. What's going yeah, on? Right. Yeah. Uh probably, no, unfortunately not. Uh, oh. yeah, more to come. More to come. No, thanks no for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And I hope it's uh hope it's valuable for anybody watching. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott and Josh Epperson. Thanks for joining us, Josh. Later, guys. All opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott.